You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We're in Ruth chapter 2 this morning. We were in Ruth chapter 1 last week. We're going to look at the first 13 verses of Ruth chapter 2. If you aren't familiar with the Bible, then this is a wonderful love story. It's got much that it will teach us for life. It's got much that it will teach us about Jesus. It points forward to Jesus and the amazing things that he's done for us. Last week we saw that Naomi was in a desperate situation in a foreign land with her, uh, with her family, and then her husband Elimelech dies, and not only that, but her sons die as well. And so she's there with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And Naomi decides to return home to the land of Judah. And she's trying to encourage her daughters-in-law to stay where they are in Moab to marry again. But Ruth says, no, I'm going to go with you. Even though it meant that she would live a life of widowhood. Because as far as uh, Naomi could recall, there was no relative that could come and take Ruth as a wife and uh, provide for the family. So it was a, a, she was committing herself to a life of destitution and living off the scraps of the rich. But as I said last week, we believe in a God who redeems even the most desperate of situations, that he's the one who's able to work all things together for the good who lo- of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He is able to work things for good, even when it seems that all hope is lost. So let's read the uh, first 13 verses together of Ruth chapter 2. These will come up on the screens around the room as well. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they said to him, The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. 
Shall we pray together? Father, we're just here in your word, knowing that your word brings us life, that your word changes us. And we pray, Lord, that you this morning, right around this room, would speak to us in whatever situation we find ourselves in, that you would speak to us as we unpack your word together, that you would encourage us and challenge us and shape us to be more and more like your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So in this chapter, we see some light breaking through. In this chapter, we see uh, what had been a very bleak situation. We see light breaking through. And as we get to know Boaz more and more through this story, we're going to see this light shine brighter and brighter because Naomi had painted a very bleak picture for Ruth. She had said there was no one that could come and marry into the family and rescue the family and provide for it. I believe she had simply forgotten it in her grief. But we see Boaz was a relative of the family, and he could actually come and help them. We see in Boaz a man who is of very noble character. He's called a worthy man. He was a man of excellence. He was a good man. But we also see in Ruth a woman of remarkable godly character, as we looked at a little bit more in depth last week. Boaz and Ruth are truly honorable people. And I want to spend some time this morning just looking at character. God is concerned for our character. He's really concerned for our inner man and what's going on inside of us. Whatever our stage of life, whatever our stage of life, whether we have plenty like Boaz, whether we are poor and destitute like Ruth, whether we are married or whether we're single like Boaz and Ruth, whether we've been in the family of God for a long time like Boaz, or whether you've been in the family of God for a matter of weeks or even minutes, if you've responded this morning. Whatever our stage of life, God is concerned for our character. He's concerned that we grow in godly character, that we change to become more like Jesus, his son. God looks to our character above all else, above our gifting, above our status, above our renown, above our charisma, Above all things, God is concerned about our character. You might be the one who's the life and soul of the party. You might have lots of people looking to you. You you might have lots of people following you. But ultimately, God is concerned about what's going on inside. He's looking to your heart. In Bible language, the heart is the seat of your life. It's the seat of your will and of your whole self. And it's the heart that drives us. And it's the heart that God really cares about. It's ultimately the heart which affects our outer actions. We don't just kind of do whatever kind of happens to us. No, we act from out of the overflow of our hearts. And he's looking at our hearts. And he wants our hearts to be one to him. Not that we would just pay him lip service, but that our hearts would be one to him. And we see in Ruth and in Boaz two people who have godly character. They have godly character because God has won their hearts. We don't know how long Ruth had known God for, but we know that she had come to know the God of Israel and her heart had been changed. Let us be those who pray that God would shape our character. You might even want to pray that under your breath or in your mind now. God, shape my character. Make me more like Jesus. Because these Old Testament characters, they point us to Jesus. All of the uh, Old Testament characters that are lifted up as examples to us, they foreshadow Jesus. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, 
Boaz, Ruth, in this story, many, many, many of these Old Testament characters, they're lifted up as examples for us, but ultimately they point to Jesus. They point to uh, something that Jesus would come and be and do for us. And even last week we saw, didn't we, how uh, Ruth is praised for her kindness. And we looked at this word chesed, which is God's steadfast loving kindness, and how she points to Jesus and his steadfast loving kindness for us. But the quality I want to highlight today is Ruth's humility. She was a humble woman. Her humility led her to be a very caring woman. In verse 2 that we've just read together, she gets up, she takes initiative, and she heads out into the field to see if she can glean some food. She and Naomi have nothing, and so she goes out to glean. Gleaning is like going to the food bank. She's going to see what she can get from the charity of others. The law of the land commanded that the harvesters leave some bits uh, on the edges of the field for the poor. And that's what she's gone to do. Note this, she is not, uh, she's not caught up in self-pity. Often when things are going wrong for us, we can be frozen by self-pity. We can kind of go in on ourselves, we can become full of self-pity. It's easy to become self-obsessed when we consider that things are not going the way that we had hoped or planned. But not so with Ruth. She's a godly woman. She is determined to care for Naomi And so she takes initiative to care for her. In Philippians chapter 2, in this amazing passage about humility, it says this in verse 3 and 4. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. To be a caring person, we have to have humility. We must consider others as more important than ourselves. That doesn't mean we don't look after ourselves and we neglect ourselves but we must forget about ourselves for a time in order to care for others. I really enjoy reading the message paraphrase of the Bible. I don't call it a translation deliberately because it's not a translation. If you want to know what the Bible says about a particular subject and you want to study in depth, don't use the message because it's not word for word accurate, but it's very, very helpful sometimes in order to kind of get hold of passages of the Bible that are perhaps quite familiar to us, that we might have read over and over again, and we've kind of let it wash over us. This is what it says in uh, the message paraphrase of Philippians 2. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. What's the way to this humility? Well, the passage goes on to tell us. And again, the message paraphrase says this, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, death on a cross. That's our route to humility. If you want to grow in humility, that's our route to humility to consider the cross. And that's what we're going to do as we uh, finish This morning, we're going to consider the cross. We're going to remember what Jesus did for us. And we're going to take bread and grape juice. And we're going to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let's keep coming back to the cross. It's the foundation 
The, the, the cross and resurrection, the gospel that we preach, is the foundation of our whole life. It's not just something that we consider when we first become Christians. It's not something that we just uh, see as the way into this. No, it's to be the foundation of our whole life. Are we coming back to the cross day by day? Are we coming back to what Jesus has done for us day by day? Are we allowing ourselves to be struck again by this amazing gospel? Because it's ultimately that which will change us. It's that which will humble us as we consider the lengths that Jesus had to go to to save us, as we consider the holiness of God that we've sung about this morning, as, we've con- as we contemplate that God is holy, he's so not like us, he's so perfect in power, he's perfect in purity. And as we consider his holiness, and as we consider the horror of the cross, as we consider that that's what it meant for us to be forgiven, that's what our sin deserves, it's that which will humble us. It's that which will lead us to forget about ourselves for a time and to put others first. Do you understand this? That it's the gospel that it changes us. When we take it to our heart more deeply, day by day, the gospel changes us as we consider what it meant for us to be saved. So let's aspire to be like Ruth. Let's aspire to be humble and caring. Even when we're afflicted, it's easy, as I said, to go in on ourselves when we're afflicted, but... Ruth cares for her mother-in-law. She gets up and she cracks on. Her humility led her to take initiative and to work hard. She wasn't expecting a payout, but instead she asked humbly if she could glean from the field. She wasn't pushy or presumptuous. These are Christ-like attitudes. These are Christ-like attributes. There's much that we can emulate in Ruth. She's hardworking. She's an amazing worker. We see in verse 7, she continued from early morning until that point, with a short rest. In verse 17, we read that she worked from morning until evening, and even when she'd finished the gleaning, she beat out what she had gleaned. She measured it, and she took it home to Naomi. She worked hard. She worked hard. There is no doubt that the writer in this story wants us to see Ruth's hard work. The writer in this story wants us to see that Ruth worked hard to care for her family. She takes initiative She's humble. She's, she has every excuse to be bitter like Naomi. She has every excuse to be frozen in that bitterness and self-pity. But no, she works from dusk to dawn. She takes caring initiative. These are worthy traits in Ruth's life for us to consider. And then we see Boaz. Then we see Boaz. Boaz is a remarkable man. The first thing that we see about Boaz, or the first thing that jumps out to me, is that Boaz is a man who lives in relationship with God. He's a man whose life is saturated by his relationship with God. It has changed everything about him. He, he, he walks with God, and it, we see it affects the way he addresses his workers. We see it affects the way he addresses the opposite sex. We see it's saturated everything within him. I want to uh, give a word to those who are single amongst us. This could be a, a large portion of our church. Some of you might want to marry someday. I was with a good friend of mine uh, this week. I went to New Day for the day, um, caught up with old friends, saw our young people having a great time, 7,500 people worshipping God, teenagers just having their lives changed by the love of God. Let's be praying. Let's be praying, as Matt charged us to earlier. Let's be praying for lasting impact for them. I was catching up with an old friend of mine, and he told me that he wants to get married someday. 
And he has his criteria, as uh, people do sometimes. But I, I told him the most important thing is this. If he wishes to live a life that is fruitful for God, if he really wants to live a very, very fruitful life for Jesus, then he should try and marry someone whose life is saturated by God, like Boaz's life was. That he's to, live a, he's to, to find a partner, to find a woman whose life is saturated by God. Not a perfect person. Not a perfect person. You're going to search the whole of your life to find a perfect person, and you're going to fail in that. But someone whose life is truly saturated by God, who loves God more than anything else in this world, who loves God more than ultimately they would love you. That's my charge to you if you're single here, to find someone who loves God. Someone who, who loves God more than they will ever love you. That's, that's the key, really, to living in a fruitful marriage, is to find someone who will love God more than they love you. And we see in our very short examination of Boaz that he's a man who really does love God. He speaks a lot about God, not because he's religious and likes the kind of people to think that he's religious. But he speaks a lot about God because God is everything to him. Some people give God a lot of lip service. Jesus had some things to say about the Pharisees who liked to pray out loud, who liked to say religious sounding things, but whose hearts weren't really of God. But we see here, he, Boaz loves God. And as I've said already, he, he prays for people. He prays for his workers under his command. He prays for Ruth. He's a man who goes deep with God, and it shows in his lifestyle. He's called a worthy man in verse 1. This uh, word in the Hebrew, chayil, it means a man of excellence, a man of strong character, a man of nobility. His name literally means strength within, and he treats people with respect. This relationship with God has permeated his dealings with the people in his world. May that be our testimony, that our relationship with God permeates our dealings with everyone in our world, in our workplace, in our relationships, in our friendships, that our relationship with God would permeate everything. And he uses his masculinity to protect women. Just consider this for a moment. Ruth was in a very dangerous situation. She was having to put herself in this field gleaning off of the charity of others, she was vulnerable to abuse. She was vulnerable to rape even. She was in a vulnerable position, and Boaz uses his position to protect her. He uses his masculinity to protect her. And so many men do all they can to take, take, and take from women. And yet Boaz, he reflects Jesus here, and he uses his masculinity to provide and protect Boaz knows that Ruth is in a dangerous position. But out of the overflow of his thankfulness to God for what God has given him, he uses his wealth to provide for others. Maybe we're tempted to think here that uh, maybe Boaz had the hots for Ruth. Maybe she was you know, a good-looking a good woman and he kind of liked her. Well, we've got no hint here that this is the case. And we've actually got to consider this. Boaz is a really wealthy guy. And Ruth is not much of a catch, okay? She's not Miss Universe. She's a foreigner from a place where the God of Israel is not worshipped. She's a foreigner from a place which is the enemy of God's people. She's widowed, so Boaz would know she's no longer a virgin. She's not bringing much to the table. She's destitute. She's gleaning for wheat. And she's got a bitter mother-in-law that she's committed to for life. She is not much of a catch. But Boaz, he reaches out to her to provide for her. He treats her honorably. 
before there's any hint of romance here, he treats her like a sister. Men here, that's our charge. If we're young men here, we're charged to treat younger women, those of a similar age to us or younger, like sisters. That's what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Younger men treat younger women like sisters, treat older women like mothers in all purity, he writes. Is that how you're living if you're a younger man here? To treat younger women like sisters. So Boaz charges the young men not to even touch Ruth. He's protective of her. Boaz cares for Ruth just as he has cared for Naomi. As she has cared for Naomi, I should say. He is not waiting with a list of selfish things to tick off in a possible future wife. No, he's happy to give rather than be preoccupied with what he could get. Let us be like Boaz in all of our dealings. Let's not be preoccupied with what we can get. Let's be preoccupied with what we can give. His relationship with God leads him to see that character is of the utmost importance. He has seen this for himself because he hears of Ruth's exploits. He hears of the way in which she has committed herself to caring for her mother-in-law. He sees it for himself and he sees the value of a godly woman. He sees it. He praises her, doesn't he? He sees what she's done. He praises her for her amazing sacrificial love towards Naomi. I have to say this. I am so grateful that God had he rescued me from getting into all kinds of mess when it came to relationships. I did. I made mistakes as a young man. I made errors and blunders when it came to relationships as a young man. But God has provided for me a godly woman. A godly woman who loves God more than she loves me. And I'm very grateful that she does. The Bible really holds up singleness in high regard. We're going to go through uh, 1 Corinthians uh, in the new term. It's going to be an epic series from September right through to March. I love epic preaching series. And, in, and in, the, in the book of Corinthians, we see that the Apostle Paul, he holds up singleness in very high regard. He really does. You're not, more of a, you don't, you're not a fully realized person when you get married. No, you're a fully realized person when you place your faith in Jesus and you're united to him. You don't become you know, a full person. No, no, Jesus Christ is the one who brings real life, not a spouse. Okay, singleness is, is a good thing if it's lived out in a godly way. It's a good thing. The Bible really holds it in high regard. But if you're seeking to be married someday, if you're single here and seeking to be married someday, let me urge you, please, let me urge you, as one of your pastors here, find someone who loves God. Find someone who loves God. Don't go for anything else than someone who loves God. Find someone who puts God first. They're not going to be perfect. In fact, marriage is a, a means by which we are sanctified. We, we, aren't we? Those of us who are married here, it's a, it's a means in which by God actually tries to make us more like Christ. He, he uses a spouse to do that. He uses, us, he uses friendships as well. He uses other means. But you're never going to find a perfect person. But find someone who loves God. Let me urge you, find someone who loves God. Let me reiterate, you do not need to be married to be fruitful for God. We're seeing this in Boaz and in Ruth. They're being fruitful as single people. They are being obedient to God as single people. They are doing good as single people. They're good examples of loving, caring, selfless people in their singleness. Neither of them are saying, well, I'll, I'll crack on when I'm married. Neither of them are saying, I'll do things for God when I'm married. But I want to just hammer home this. If you want to be married someday, pray 
Pray, ask God. No doubt you're doing that already, but ask God to provide for you a spouse. Ask God and seek someone who loves God. Seek someone who loves God because that is ultimately, that's the most important thing. More than looks, more than physical attraction, more than anything else. Someone who really loves God, who bases their life on Him and who allows that relationship with Him to saturate the whole of their life. That's God's will for us, that we would, as we live out of relationship with him, that a whole of our lives will be affected by him. As we abide in him, that's what it means to abide in him, to walk in step with him, to live with God. That's what he wants for each one of us, that like Boaz, as we abide in him, we will be extraordinarily fruitful people, whether single or married. Some of you here, before you even kind of get to this place of abiding in God and walking with him. You, you're just at this point this morning, you're saying, I don't even know this God. Maybe you are like Ruth in the last chapter, not even, I don't even know who this God is. I don't, even, I, I don't know how I'm supposed to live in relationship with him if I don't know who he is. I want to tell you about this God. He is amazing. He is amazing. He's full of love for you. He's full of love for you. And you need to know him. Listen, Ruth she happened, it says in that, the scripture we just read together, she happened to get to the part of the field that was owned by Boaz. She happened to. Well, the Bible doesn't know anything about coincidence. These are God-led things. This is, God led her to that part of the field. God led her to that part of the field. And today, if you're here this morning, it's not a coincidence. You didn't just happen to come along to Hope Church. God has led you here. Even if you were invited by a friend, God has led you here. And if you're listening online later this week, God has led you to listen to this message online. He has. Because God holds the whole world in his hands. He's doing a thousand things in your life, and you might be aware of just ten of them, I heard someone say. He's doing a thousand things in your life, and you're probably aware of just ten of them. He is working things together, and he's brought you here. That you, that you might be introduced to the God who would show you favor. Just as, just as Ruth encountered Boaz, who showed her great favor. I believe God's brought you here today that you might meet the greater Boaz, who will show you favor. Who will show you great favor, even though you don't deserve it. Even though we don't deserve it, God shows us favor. He shows us his mercy. He provides for us, even though we're far from him he brings us into his family. All of us are in desperate need. Like, like Ruth and Naomi, desperate need. And some of you might be in desperate need materially here. And God's interested in that. He really is. But more interested is God in your greatest need, which is to have peace with him. It's to have peace with God. It's to know forgiveness for your sin. It's to know a cleansing of all that you've ever done wrong. He is far, far more interested in that today than even your material need, which he does care about. He does care about it. But he wants you to come to know peace with him. And you can know that today. You can know peace with God today. As you say, God, I have a great need, which is I know I need to be forgiven. I know that I need to lay down my sin and shame and say, God, take it away from me. I can't do it myself. I can't sort it out by myself. Even if you worked hard like Ruth day and night to try and make up for what you've done wrong, you cannot 
You cannot earn God's favour. You cannot earn his forgiveness. You need to simply humbly accept it. You need to be like Ruth who humbly accepts the favour of Boaz. We need to be those that humbly accept the favour of our God. And say, God, I can't do it. I cannot earn it for myself. I accept humbly your forgiveness. I take it and I say, thank you, Father. I thank you for your favour. We're going to celebrate in just a moment. The band will come and get ready to lead us in a song. If you could just come now. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. He came to earth to be the greater Boaz, to be the one who would provide for the whole world where we had great need, to provide forgiveness for the whole world, to provide the means by which we could come into a relationship with God. Jesus Christ did it. He did it for you and I. And you might be here this morning saying, I've done so much wrong. I have, I have pro- I'm probably the worst sinner in this room. Let me tell you this. The Apostle Paul, that we read about in the New Testament, he calls himself the greatest sinner. I think he's making the point that we're all the greatest sinner, actually. But he had people killed because they believed in Jesus. He had people thrown in prison because they believed in Jesus. And Jesus reached out even to him. He reached out even to him, the one who we read about earlier, who wrote these amazing verses about humility and Jesus dying on the cross. That same apostle Paul, he wasn't too far from the grace of God. You can come into the family of God today because his grace is that great. His favor is that amazing. His love is that astonishing. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He took it for you. He bled and died for you. He took the punishment for the the sin that you committed. He took the punishment for the sin that I committed. And he died, he bled and died on a cross so that we might never have to do that. So that we could receive his perfect record. So that we could receive the perfect record. You know, he, he lived a whole life of treating people honorably. He never put a foot wrong. Boaz would have put a foot wrong. Boaz made mistakes. Jesus never made a mistake. He never had a moment where he thought, I need to apologize to that person. He never treated people dishonorably. He had a whole life of good decisions. He was the one who who lived the perfect life. And we simply, in the wake of his perfection, we glean of his goodness. We glean of what he's done for us. We get covered in his righteousness, friends, and we don't deserve it. And that's what we're going to celebrate as we finish. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond now. To respond now. A moment where you can say to God, I am all yours. I am all yours. Should we just bow our heads? We usually stand at this point. We just want to bow our heads just for a moment as a, a way of just humbly coming before God. Lord, we are here and we're astonished at your love. We've sung about it this morning. We're astonished at the love of God shown for us on the cross. We are bowled over when we consider that it was for us that you died, Lord Jesus. It was for us that you laid down your life. It was for us that you bore our sin and shame. You did it for us, Lord Jesus. You've shown us such favor that we don't deserve. And we receive your righteousness. We receive your perfect record. We have it fully accredited to us, fully given to us. Thank you so much, Lord, 
Thank you so much for your amazing grace. If you were here this morning and you know I've never responded to this gospel. I've maybe heard it before. Maybe this is the first time I've heard it, this news. I want to give you an opportunity now to say, God, I humbly receive your forgiveness. I couldn't earn it, even if I worked all day and all night. I humbly receive it. Just say that to him now, under your breath, in your heart. He hears you. I humbly receive your forgiveness. And I trust in you. Say to him simply, I am all yours, Lord. Say that to him. I'm all yours, Lord. Just with everyone's eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you have responded to God and it's the first time that you've responded in such a way, I'm going to open my eyes and I want you to just raise your hand if you've done that. Just raise it nice and high for me. Wonderful. Wonderful. Is there anyone else? It's nice and high for me. No one else can see. We've got our eyes closed. It's an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord Jesus right now. We'd love to help you in your next steps. If you've responded, come and speak to me. It'll help you to understand what it is to get baptized, what it is to walk with God daily. So anyone else who wants to respond this morning, say, I'm placing my faith in Jesus. I realize I cannot do it on my own. I realize I need forgiveness. Just raise your hand nice and high. Pray that prayer. Wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for those that have responded right now. We're grateful, Lord God. There's a party in heaven to those who respond and who say, Jesus, I need you. There's a party in heaven. Father God, we just want to worship you now. We want to honor you with our praise as we bring this time together to a close we want to honour you with our praise because you deserve it Lord thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich please feel free to make a copy of this content but please do not edit the content in any way